you are listening to Single Service. My name is Arno Martire, and I am your host. Single Service is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio. Richelle Sibobaro is a brand strategist and content creator with in-depth expertise and passion for the arts and culture, especially design, architecture, and travel. With over 15 years of experience in communications, design, brand, and strategy, she currently works with brands to achieve insight and alignment through participatory and collaborative sessions. So today we're going to talk about Canadian design and specifically to attempt to answer the question, what is Canadian design? Uh, so we have our work cut out for us. Good luck. Uh, Rochelle, thank you very much for being on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Arno. I think uh, I need to steal that intro. That's a, <laughs> it's a great intro. Yeah, steal away. It's not a problem at all. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell us who you are and what you do in your own words in three sentences or less. Three sentences or less. Well, I think, you know, I do call myself a brand strategist. So I do have experience differentiating and growing recognizable Canadian brands. I do consider myself an energetic market leader because I love figuring out, you know, value propositions and doing everything in a very collaborative manner. I would say I'm also a storyteller. Like I love creating brand narratives and kind of interacting and seeing how they interact with diverse audiences. Um, I'm a systems thinker. I love analyzing, you know, complex relationships into into you know creating insight strategy and communications and like you said i have a passion about design and architecture and culture and which is why my uh, my master's thesis was actually on exploring a new framework for the architecture biennale of the future mm, interesting maybe we'll yeah. have a chance to talk about that towards the end of the interview or you'll tell us about it throughout the questions <laughs> um so how did you end up where you are today well, I wish I could say I had some strategy and thought behind it, but it really wasn't planned. It, my my work and my journey through my career has been a lot of uh, meandering, I would say. I was mm-hmm. kind of open to whatever opportunities came my way. And, you know, anytime a door opened, I kind of like went through it. But the one thing that I've been consistent through my career was wanting to stretch what a designer could do. And this is how I think I landed in that marketing and communication space within our industry. It really suits me really well. And I, and I, and I enjoy it. Well, it sounds like there's uh, that's at least one thing we have in common. Um, so let's jump into the, the topic of Canadian design. Mm-hmm. Why uh, did you agree to take on such a massive topic like Canadian design? And I, I think the subtext of that question is also what is Canadian design in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted 
so like I've, I've traveled the world, right. As an editor and as a design enthusiast. And, you know, when you go to places like Japan or Italy or like Spain or Finland, they have a clear design aesthetic and identity. You can kind of close your eyes and say Japanese design and an image appears, right. You can say the same for Danish and an image pops up, but when you think of Canadian design, it gets a little foggy, right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you know, if you think of some Canadian graphic design elements, right, the maple leaf comes to mind, you have the white, you have the red, you know, some brands might come to mind in terms of, you know, Roots or CBC or Bell, maybe CN or like TD. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of have some iconic buildings that have given us an identity, right? You have the Buckminster Fuller Dome, the Geodesic Dome, you have Habitat in Montreal, right? You have the iconic CN Tower and, and Skydom are now what we call Rogers Centers. And, mm-hmm. and they were built in a time when Canada was kind of embracing the future of what Canadian design could be, right? But I think since the 60s, like 55 years later, like what is it now? And this is kind of where I'm kind of, you know, trying to explore, right? I think it's, I think it's time for us to start to articulate what this means. And, mm-hmm. and my thinking is, if you can't identify it, if you can't critique it, then you can't like challenge it and you can't push it forward. Right. So I'm kind of taking this on or bringing it forward to, to start to raise the visibility of value in design and architecture in Canada. Right. I think since the loss of the design exchange or design museum, there hasn't really been a leading voice in this space. Right. So mm-hmm. I just personally feel that it's time to speak up and start talking about it, about it. I, you know, I think it's time to start to question and discuss and articulate and start to facilitate the uh, the conversation. Yeah, and I think the parallel with the graphic, the Canadian graphic design uh, identity is very interesting. I don't know if you, you m- must have seen it, that movie that came out a couple of years ago, Design Canada, mm-hmm. which was uh, very enlightening. And, and, you know, there is a strong history, at least up until, say, the 80s of uh, strong modernist Canadian design. And you see a parallel in the architecture world as well from the fifties to let's say the eighties to be generous. Right. There was a strong Canadian design or Canadian architecture kind of world. Uh, you had the Arthur Erickson's um, Ron Tom and, and a bunch of other people that I forget that built unapologetic modernist uh many times brutalist architecture that still stands to this day and is by and large much beloved by their respective communities but we don't seem to have that much anymore at least not in the 20 i've been here for 15 years so that's in the last 20 years which is kind of what i've experienced personally that doesn't seem to be there so the question is where has that gone it's really kind of mind-blowing that there was um, a strong uh, kind of Canadian architecture world and design and and Canadian design. Um, I was supposed to go to Edmonton two years ago, just before the pandemic started to do um, a photo trip with a bunch of friends. And we connected with a few architects who were either familiar with the city or were from there. And uh, I didn't get to see it, but I compiled a list of interesting architecture and and it's all from the 60s and 70s. And then in the last 10 to 15 years, um, thanks to uh, the work of um, uh, the city architect, um, Carol Belanger, 
they've kind of brought that back. I think the at least the public architecture in Edmonton has kind of significantly significantly increased in quality, but that's the only city that still seems to do that uh, on a consistent basis. Like there is interesting architecture popping up here and there, but at, at the city or community level consistently, I think that's the only one that's managed to pull that off. And thanks to the help of this city architect. So th there's a lot to unpack here. Maybe I'll let you uh, say a few things. <laughs> yeah, well, um, when when you asked about, you know, what it is in my opinion, like I tried to, um, last year I organized a panel discussion, right, with LeMay and Dezine to literally tackle this this topic, mm -hmm. you know, and we were lucky enough to have it uh, um, uh, moderated by Marcus. Marcus Fair is the editor. We were mm -hmm. able to bring Leslie Jen, who wrote, who recently wrote the book, right, on Canadian architecture. We had Andrew King, who was design um, chief design officer at LeMay and principal at Fieldwork, and then we had that Indigenous voice with David Fortin, who is the professor at the McEwen School of Architecture, who um, co-created the Canadian Pavilion. The, for the 2018 Venice Biennale. So this was mm -hmm. like a, uh, you know, a, a, a really strong panel discussion. And I went back to it, right, to kind of figure out, could I distill any of the points from that, from what they were talking about? Mm -hmm. And and from that, there, you know, there were three main points that they were starting to articulate in terms of what Canadian design could be or what Canadian design could start to be. And I think the first one is that, like you were talking about Edmonton, right? And being that stuff from that place. And the first the first point that they were talking about is that Canadian design is place-based design, right? Like we really take into consideration the land, the resources, and the people. And, you know, Leslie Jen was talking about how this is our reverence for like site land and history, right? Where some of the mm -hmm. most successful architectural projects use architecture as a regional response to the context, right? They take cues from it. They don't actually impose from it. And I think that's kind of, you know, one aspect that we can start to, to think about when we talk about Canadian design and architecture. And then, you know, the, the second one, which is always the, the one that we always talk about is that Canadian design is just diverse, right? There is no probably single aesthetic because we're just so diverse. It's actually, um, I think it's what actually knits us together is that there isn't something that knits us together, right? We actually mm -hmm. are very unique in this way in terms of what you would design in the prairies is completely different of what you design in Toronto. I think that's okay, right? We have this strong social agenda that is kind of in our ethos of like inclusivity and diverse culture. And that, um, that, that, um, that documentary that you said, I, I did watch it. And what I loved is, Remember George from Malopolis? Like he was in there and he, he has this quote that he says that the, um, the U.S. is like a solo act, right? If you look at them for design, but Canada is best described as a band, right? And we're mm -hmm. better when we're actually working together. So yeah. I think that could be a, a really good way of starting to describe our design aesthetics. Like we're, we're just a band, right? We just have everything that um, we just come together that way. And then I think the third which they were really trying to articulate, which I think is going to start to really push our Canadian design agenda is that it's indigenous, right? Like David Fortin was talking about that. We are only starting to recognize the indigenous teachings, right? That the elders had as a way of developing an approach that is kind of, that isn't about this 
aestheticized object or form, but it's actually starting to take into consideration almost the spiritual ecology of place, right? That everything is almost equal, the humans, the rocks, the trees, and and everything from it. And that this is probably our strongest point of difference as a collective, right? Indigenous design. And that in that, you know, we, we have been colonized. So there was 200 years of colonization, but the shift is starting to happen and the shift of thinking is happening. So our openness to change as a country and to see a better path, I think is kind of where we'll, we'll start to go in terms of the future of Canadian design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a few things that come to mind hearing you and kind of thinking about what is Canadian design in the, in the, at the same time. And that's from the perspective of a new Canadian, right? I, I've only been here for a decade and a half and I just became a citizen recently. But um, to me, it's there's kind of two things that uh, 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 bounce off of what you just said. One is the ethos from the 1967 um, uh, fair and the centennial, where mm-hmm. I don't know how it was at the time, but in hindsight, it looks like there was kind of this heroic drive to uh, promote like universal values of design. And some of those, I think, and I could be wrong, I'm not a historian, could be also kind of linked back to respecting the land and and maybe have some respect for the indigenous and indigenous um, uh, kind of culture. And I think the maybe the best example and that may uh, irate some people, but it's fine, um, is the Museum of Anthropology at UBC by Ericsson, because it is um, a museum that's supposed to be all about the indigenous arts and culture, and by and large it is, but it's also a very modern contemporary building that kind of pays homage to some of those things. Um, So that's one thing that, that kind of, modern universal values that we can all get behind, you know, like uh, diversity and and acceptance, especially because Canada is a nation of immigrants by and large. Um, and then the other thing is the more vernacular or regionalist approach where you, see, I think you see it more nowadays in, in like in the past 10, 20 years, the, the high profile projects are very, um, uh, responsive to their environment. I'm thinking about projects like the Calgary Central Library. You would never see something like that in Toronto or Halifax. Conversely, Halifax had a new central library recently in the last few years that was seemed to be more um, uh, in tune with its environment in, in, the, in the Maritimes. Um, if you go to the Rockies, any architecture that's somewhat high profile in there will be very responsive to the mountains. Um, uh, so I think there, there's, there's, you're right. There's not one aesthetic. I think there is kind of a, a more of a response to the environment that's typical of Canadian architecture. Um, but I will say that in terms of interior design in the last 20 years, it's, it's become very Scandinavian, uh, maybe too much. So, <laughs> but that's a different debate. I think there's a strong influence, um, in interiors from Scandinavian, maybe even a bit of Swiss design to an extent where you have a lot of natural materials, warm tones and pastel colors. Um, So I don't know if that leads me to a question, but 
maybe you want to uh, respond to that. And if you don't, I can move on to the next question. I think the interiors is always an interesting space because they probably reflect the true sensibility of what people are looking for, right? In a certain time, mm -hmm. right? So I wouldn't be surprised that all of a sudden we're starting to embrace more of that, is it huggy? Like that type of like warm comfort because the last couple of years we've had to be inside, right? So I think mm -hmm. people are starting to almost shed all of that excess that they had and really work with what is um, appropriate, what they need, right? In certain spaces, knowing that they have to, the spaces nowadays have to do more, right? They're mm -hmm. no longer, they were no longer just a place of um, home, but they became a place of work and play. Yeah. So who, who, who were probably leading that were definitely the, the Northern Europeans in terms of having that type of balance and understanding that, you know, materiality is really important in, in your space and how you live in your space is almost that reflection of how you want your world to be. So I'm not, I'm not surprised at all, right. That that's starting to, to come into play. Who knows in the next 10 years, we might just have really slick homes that are just fully like, well, you know, with tech or something, but it would be, it's, it doesn't surprise me. Right. That, that, that that's going in. That yeah. I think space. that's a trend that started before the pandemic though. Cause you saw a lot of that. It's maybe more in commercial interiors of a certain kind, like, boutique hotels and like concept stores and things like that. And so that might start to translate more into all the environments. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's also a bit of a reaction to, and I'm talking about interior specifically design that's very sleek and very well detailed and built, but also a bit cold um, mm -hmm. because um, that doesn't really account for all the stuff that people brings with them when they move into a space, right? Um, my wife is Persian and we have like Persian rugs and plants and all kinds of little tchotchkes that I would never even think about bringing into the house, but actually make it more, um, personal and lived in. And, um, anyway, that's a, that's a debate for another time. Um, so let, let's talk about maybe, um, architects and designers that are pushing the envelope and would be more representative of, what mm -hmm. typically is Canadian design. Do you have any examples in mind of people who are pushing the envelope and, and kind of exemplifying what Canadian design is? Well, when, when I had to think about this, I took two approaches. So I, I kind of went almost institutional and then I kind of went more project-based and kind of architecture design space. So yeah. from an institutional level, like the CCA, the Canadian Center for Architecture, I mean, Phyllis Lambert has been almost our strongest voice in terms of creating that architectural discourse right mm -hmm. in our in our industry where it's really focused on you know research and how that can kind of drive what shapes and reshapes architecture right in contemporary life but then there's also the design to right on the other level design to is pride canada's largest festival of design where they mm -hmm. actually do bring together all of these diverse voices and emerging voices to kind of think creatively, right? And what they do is they really have a good um, pulse in terms of what is happening in industry now, right? Because they're bringing individuals to design against almost different uh, trends or different uh, thematics. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered this new collective, the Canadian, Canadian Creative Collective, where what they're trying to do is is almost export Canadian design into festivals, which I found quite interesting. So they're trying to make sure that 
Canadian designers and artists get the spots in these like in these international festivals or events. So I like that idea of exporting us, right? We don't do enough of that in terms of showcasing us in different festivals and events. So mm-hmm. I found that that's a that's a kind of new um, a new form that I, I think is great. And then if we think of projects, I tried to pick some that are almost across the country so we can kind of see any trends of the thematics. But the first one is, um, you know, the Saskatoon Central Library, right? Which is being designed by Formline Architecture. So there we can see this Indigenous and place-based design start to take shape, right? The, the concept of the exterior is almost inspired by a TP and the, and the Métis log house, where they really wanted to bring together this idea that the library, it's a, the library is this living room of the city, right? And it's welcoming for everyone. Mm-hmm. And then if we think of something a little bit more, you know, high profile, the Vancouver Art Gallery, which is being designed by Herzog and Demir in collaboration with Perkins and Wills. I mean, here you can see them look at materiality differently, right? In terms of really bringing that that vernacular in of what BC culture, what the BC First Nations would use in terms of sustainability or building materials. Mm -hmm. And then if we go from west to east, right? The Nova Scotia Art Gallery. I think here you can kind of see, and I think that's being designed by KPMB with OG Architects. Yeah. Here you can kind of see, right? That this is almost, they really want this to be a symbol of the city and the people, right? Paying homage to that. I think it's called um, Mick, Mickmau culture, right? So they're really trying to showcase that. I think it's the headdress of a Mi'kmaq woman that they're trying to showcase in, in the storytelling of that space. So here you can really see the strong indigenous component component being brought through and the strong play space and this whole diversity that, you know, depending on the, these are all different types of galleries, but they have a completely different form in terms of where they're being situated. And then if we kind of move to Quebec, the Place de Montréalais that's being designed by LeMay and Angela Silver, I mean, mm-hmm. this is a major public plaza that's almost a recalibration of the city, right? And redefining what cultural narratives are happening, where it's talking about the importance of the women's history, right? And how the landscape is almost this reflection of the changing seasons. It represents almost great female um, Montrealers. So we can see now like there's a lot of change in terms of what indigeneity kind of means for a different city. And I think the last one, I mean, it, it's it's starting to be built, but if we come back to Toronto, you know, the city is, if we talk about immigration and diversity, I mean, this is one of the most diverse cities in, in Canada. And I think it's now, um, I think Scarborough is one of the largest Tamil-speaking communities outside of India and Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of cool that they're going to get their own space, right? The community has grown in such a way that the Tamil community will actually get their own center. And so the way that they're being, that's being designed in consultation with the community is that it's going to have that Sagam, I think I'm saying it right, Sagam landscape, right? Where it's very poetic in terms of its literature is kind of what's driving the, the way it's being designed, right? Where a lot of this, um, where the translucent, translucent materials are kind of that gesture of like, opening people's minds and looking into a different way. So I think, I think with all of these, you can kind of see that that Canadian design of place-based and diverse and indigeneity are starting to take shape 
across these new mm-hmm. these new projects. And you can kind of see where our culture is headed, right? And it's kind of exciting. Like you never would have thought almost 20 years ago that these types of spaces would be designed in this place. So it's really exciting to see. Yeah, and I think I, I like your uh, kind of coast to coast overview because you've brought us <laughs> some interesting projects. Um, That's my I, job. <laughs> I, think, I think some of the, ironically, and again, I may make some enemies, the most Canadian projects that I've seen in recent times are were not designed by Canadian firms. I know. I, I when I was doing this research, there are some things where I was like, Ugh, even the top ten, like there might be one Canadian firm. And I wanted to kind of stay away from that because I'm like, this is another topic in terms of. But, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because, uh, you know, if and I'm going to say a couple of names, Snowheda has been very active. Mm-hmm. They have they had a few really high profile projects um, as far as like the institutional stuff goes. Right. Um, that to me look very Canadian. You would almost never think they were designed by a foreign firm. And, and it goes back to the Scandinavian kind of influence. I think it works well in some Canadian contexts. Um, Schmidt Hammerlassen, who did the um, Halifax Central Library is another one. But, um, you know, a couple of firms that come to mind as like almost prototypically Canadian are um, Sweet Apple, McKay Lyons. Uh, Tipo in Toronto, and um, there's four, uh, Shimsat Cliff and Pat Cow, because they're very idiosyncratic in their own way. Tipo maybe a little less so, but the other three definitely. And they have, while you can, you could easily kind of categorize them in the quasi-Scandinavian design category, I think there's something uniquely Canadian about them. Um, and their, especially their ability to design exquisite projects in any context. Uh, you see uh, Sweet Apple, Mike Lyons, w- whatever they design um, anywhere in the country lo- is amazing. And I think you see some of that with uh, Omar Gandhi when the lineage is direct because he used to work there. So um, maybe, and it's not to say they're the only ones who can claim to be stereotypically or prototypically Canadian, but that those are the ones that come to mind. Um, and again, I may make some enemies, but that's part of the show, right? Um, exactly. exactly. Um, I think Leslie, Leslie Jen did pick those four, like to face, she did feature those projects in her books specifically. So I, I kind of, uh, I hear you in terms of very Canadian. I think for me, I wanted to pick projects that almost any Canadian could go to, right? So some of the projects are specific to a client or specific to an organization where these spaces are meant for everyone to go and visit and kind of everyone to experience. Yeah, and I realized that three of those four that I picked are typically working for really, really wealthy clients and they're not accessible to everyone. Um, So there's that could be an issue as far as like representing Canada, but I was thinking more in terms of pure design and, and kind of aesthetic and, and mm-hmm. quality of detailing and all that kind of stuff. And just the, the space, like the quality of the space um, that they design are amazing. So if you had a magic wand and you could make Canadian design, what it should be or what it's supposed to be, or what you would like it to be, uh, what do you think it's, is its future? Where is it going or where should it be going? Yeah, 
a, uh, the, uh, the million dollar or the billion dollar question. What is the future of Canadian design? Yeah. Sorry to put you uh, in that position. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, you know, I think Canadian design or the future of it will continue to be the reflection of its people, right? We are a community of communities and, mm-hmm. And I think diversity is our strength. It's part of our national identity. So, you know, as a result, our buildings and public spaces will look different across the country because it reflects the people and the and it reflects the people and the place. And it makes us what uh, it makes us different. It makes us what it means to be Canadian. But I feel that's kind of like a more of practice, right? Like this seems that's the practice of of design. Um, as an industry, if I had a magic wand, I would love for us to bring back an institution dedicated towards Canadian design, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought that I didn't have the proper education about our design history, right? Like, and when I was going through that um, documentary, Design Canada, I was learning new things for the first time. And I've been in the, you know, I have a degree in it and I was still learning new things. So I think it's important for us to kind of know where we came from and where we want to go and whatever this form is an institution or platform, you know, it, I think it will be important for us as a country to start articul- to start articulating our future design identity behind almost a, a strong institutional voice, right. That can start to kind of help us articulate it and push it forward. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I think the, um, you know, we're talking about that, organization that whose aim is to export Canadian design it's almost antithetical to Canadian design because there's that kind of humility or false modesty that Canadians have and and they'll never be like the Americans and rah-rah and and which could be a good or a bad thing it really depends how you look at it but um I think the the you know I mean the Danish government is doing that. They're explicitly coming into Canada to promote their their businesses and designers and stuff. And I think that's you could make the argument that that's one of the reasons why so many Danish firms have done high profile projects in the last few years, which again is not necessarily a bad thing. But um, it, it, you know, I, I was just thinking about all the projects we've mentioned and. Some of them are really good. There's a lot of good architecture and design in the country, but it's just not um, it's just not being promoted that way. You know, it, um, and and it's easy to be cynical and say, oh, every all those towers in Toronto are crap, and most institutional projects are shitty. But the reality is, there are a lot of good ones too, coast to coast again. And so maybe instead of focusing on the bad ones, uh, part of that identity is to celebrate the good ones and, and try to export them because there are very talented firms, the four I've mentioned and, and a few more that I can think of um, that could easily export themselves overseas. And some do to an extent, but it's still pretty limited, not as much as like the Germans, Dan- Danish Americans, uh, Italians, and Spanish, or even the French to an extent, do, or even the British. British or big British firms are building all over. They're even buying up Canadian firms. I mean, um, so maybe there's there needs to be a bit more ambition in the, in the design culture of Canada 
to shamelessly and relentlessly export itself and show the world that there are very talented designers. Um, and the only really significant example of like truly amazing architecture I can think of was the Baha'i Temple by Harry Potterini. That like that was a project of international stature that was published everywhere. And I sadly haven't been, but all the pictures and videos I've seen it looks amazing. And the not only the design is great, but it's also the context in which it was built. Um, I learned recently, a couple of years ago, that it was built for like $36 million, which sounds like insanely yeah. low. Yeah. Um, and the yeah. reason for that is because the, the Baha'i faith, they basically raised an army of volunteers to do a lot of the work, not the actual building work, but like working on the landscape and, and like caring for the property and stuff like that. So um, you can literally raise mountains um, with, with goodwill alone. Um, and I actually wrote a piece a couple of years ago about, you know, a faith, faith-based communities ability to, uh, generate buzz and, and, uh, voluntary involvement better than any brand in the world, because those people are so deeply involved and, and engaged in what the faith has to offer. So I'm, I'm not saying let's go religious on Canadian design, but there's there's probably some marketing lessons to be learned. Um sure. how to we build need to evangelize. Yeah. yeah. Like like build a truly purpose-driven um design community or design institution that's that's all about that and can can um do a lot with limited resources um because it has that drive and, and purpose that makes up for the lack of money, right? Money is not everything. Um, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So I, I think this, this was a very interesting conversation. I have a couple more quick questions, but yeah, um, sure. uh, why do you think this is important? So let's, let's step aside out of the design world for a second, because we're both deeply steeped in it and that's kind of our lives. But if you look at Canadian as a country in general, why is, is Canadian design and specifically good design important for the country in your mind? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, when there's a, there's a really good quote by uh, Burton Kramer, mm -hmm. and he kind of said it best. And, you know, he says, design is how you think, how you see, how you act, what you surround yourself with. It's almost a way of life, right? Mm -hmm. That is design. It's not this final product or what you put in paper. It's the process. It's the platform. So I think it's important because for the next generation of designers and architects, it'll be really important for them to be educated in all aspects of design, right? Especially in the collaboration, the engagement, and not just execution, so if we see, you know, museums or institutions, or whatever we call it, agents of change, then this is an important piece to continually create that dialogue, right, and conversation and raising the value and raising the visibility of Canadian design across the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so because your background is in kind of promotion, marketing and communications um, and, and my... Uh, my battle is to get architects to be better at promoting themselves because let's face it, a lot of them are bad. They're very, um, very bad, yes. <laughs> um, what, 
And in, I guess in the broader context of that Canadian design conversation, but what would you want to share with the audience? Maybe a couple of thoughts or an idea that might help them think about their marketing differently and more effectively. Mm. Okay. So let's see. Let's see. Well, I think, you know, if we go back to that George Strombo boat, Strombo quote about that Canadian yeah. is like a band, mm-hmm. right. And that we're better when we are working in concert together. I think this is the key for us, right? I feel that we're always in competition, but really we're in concert. So if Canada's a band, design is the music, right? It's what brings us together. It what connects us. Mm-hmm. And the more voices that we invite to write the songs or, you know, the more that we like invite to write the songs, the more rich the music will be, right? So this is how we create a resilient and sustainable culture of design that's seven generations by creating the spaces and the places that are open and inclusive and designed, you know, designed with instead of designed for. So, you know, I guess if, if we, I think we just have to start creating this community or this place that we can call design or Canadian design that is really a reflection of, of who we are that will allow us to create that purpose and vision and identity. Right. And that's how I always feel, right? Like this, this is the power of design. Like it brings us together. And in the end, that's what really makes us Canadian because we are open to everyone. So I think, I think if we, if we stop being so competitive and actually be more in concert with each other, the the word will get out there, right? And that... Yeah, there's strength in number. I like that metaphor of, um, you know, (laughs) uh, uh, what was it? Where the band and design is the music. music. Yeah. Yeah, because you, um, if you want to make a a beautiful orchestra piece, you need a lot of people to play in concerts. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you just want to be... uh, kind of second-rate punk rock band. Yeah, you can get away with three people, but it's not going to be as beautiful and and um, engaging as uh, as a well-composed uh, Pink Floyd-like orchestra piece, right? <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, th- I thought this was a, a great conversation. Oh, well, thank you very much for uh, for giving some time to this and. Uh, Hopefully, in our own way, we can make a little bit of a difference and get people to think about it differently. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, uh, Rochelle. It was a pleasure talking to you. That was great. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.